From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion have found their way into classrooms and school board meetings. But those conversations don't have to be divisive. Equity means access for everybody. It means everybody gets the same fair chance to do their best. Whether it's race, whether it's being in the special needs department, and also stop and think about gifted and talented students. But they really have spun this whole thing where it's like, you're making our white children feel as though they're they're bad. And it's like, no, all children deserve to be respected, feel safe, and have a, a great opportunity to do what they can, their personal best. Exploring equity in schools with a new season of CPR's podcast, Systemic. I'm Lucy Womack, and I donated my camper van to CPR. We'd bought it when we were very young and very poor, but since then it had become a bit of a collector's item. And rather than go to the hard work of finding someone to buy it, we thought it would be better to donate it. I mean, when you're that attached to a vehicle, even though it's an inanimate object, you kind of just don't want to sell it to a random person. So donating to a resource that we depend greatly on helped a lot. It was easy to do at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Discussions of equity and racial justice in public education have become fraught given the divisive state of politics these days. The issue is at the heart of the new season of Systemic, CPR's podcast that uses audio diaries and interviews to document the lives of changemakers. We are going to listen to the first episode today with the podcast's creator, host, and producer, Joe Erickson. And Joe, welcome to Colorado Matters. Hi, Ryan. The tagline to Systemic is silence is not an option. How does that mission statement, that philosophy, inform the podcast? Um, I think that everyone can relate to this. I think that most most of us experience a moment where you just can't let things slide. There's a line in the sand and there's a point when you realize that you can't change anything by staying silent. So I think this message is extremely strong in the marginalized communities where their voices are not heard. So when I was researching the project and meeting parents, teachers, educators of color, and they're all from different communities and they're from have vastly different life experiences. So the one thing they had in common, the one thing they had in common is this thing where they, this desire to change the system that largely ignores their voices. So yeah, this podcast is about um, looking at that and I follow the journey of four individuals as they push for change. As they fight against the status quo. Yes, they do. The first season of Systemic focused on the reality that black men in America are killed by law enforcement at three times the rate of white men uh, and what it might take to change the system, both from within and from outside law enforcement. Uh, This season, you are indeed focused on equity in schools. How did that focus on Colorado's classrooms come about, Joel? 
So I thought it would be interesting to address um, how schools look at diversity, equity and inclusion. I mean, there's been a ton of debate on this issue and people are questioning what equity actually is. And people have very, very strong ideas that equity means something that takes away from a group. So you give to one group and you take away from another. And that's caused a lot of harm. And I think what I wanted to do was to really get to the heart of it and go into the schools and get that kind of, what does this actually mean? And so I... To take it out of the abstract. Yes. Where it seems that the debate really lives often and to see something in a classroom with a parent, with a family. Yes, and to actually live their experiences. And so this time I went to two school districts one in Colorado Springs, District 11, and Denver Public Schools. Now, they're both looking at equity and they're going in vastly different directions. It's like polar opposites. Mm. One has elected to defund the equity department and the other is kind of embracing equity and they are promoting equity programs. But interestingly, both of really struggle with equity. I will note that the first season of Systemic won two Best Podcast Awards, a regional Murrow and a Top of the Rockies. Uh, you created this show. It is a labor of love. And I wonder if you'd share, before we listen to this first episode of season two, share an interaction you've had as you have collected material for these episodes. I'm going to say I'm extremely privileged because... Collecting audio diaries is like being a fly in a wall in somebody else's life. Hmm. I, every day for a year, I got th these emails with these audio attachments. And it was like, press the button, listen. And some of these audio diaries were super, super, super personal. And um, I'm just going to share one. Um, so there was one take from Melissa that it felt like I was in the room with her as she's doing this mental gymnastics on a, a decision she has to make. This is Melissa Hall. Yes. We'll hear from her shortly. And she is debating whether she should pull her kids from school, whether they're all settled, she's got four of them, that she, it's a big hassle to move, or she leaves them in the school where they may be exposed to racial charged comments similar to what she received when she was um, volunteering at the school parking lot. And so you hear her wrestle with that yes. in this audio diary, in this eavesdropping, as you said. Yes. That is Joe Erickson, creator, host, and producer of CPR's podcast, Systemic. And we will listen together now to the premiere of season two, a warning, it does contain strong language, including a racial slur. I was actually done monitoring the parking lot, and I was standing at the crosswalk fence to the parking lot area where the crossing guards helped the kids cross. And I was talking to another mom. A woman pulls in kind of late, and I didn't really notice her at first. And finally, I realized that I'm hearing her say stuff. So I thought to myself, well, maybe she's trying to talk to me and I'm just not paying attention because I'm already interacting with someone else. Melissa Hall is a black parent in Colorado Springs. 
she volunteers to help monitor the parking lot at her kids' school. What you're hearing is Melissa's memory recalling every single moment on that cold November afternoon in 2021, just after school ended. Nothing could prepare her for what happened next. So I kind of did what anyone would do, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, excuse me, were you trying to talk to me? I was talking to her. And she just said, I, something to the point of, I wouldn't talk to you if you were the last person on the earth, or I would never talk to you even if I had to, or something to that effect. So Melissa tried to ignore the woman. She wanted to stay out of the conversation. And so I was just like, okay, ignore it, you know, don't interact. And she kept talking. She went on to say, I'll spit on you. I said, I understand that you're upset. I said, but there are lots of children here, and I can't have you using that kind of language around your children or other people's children. She said, I don't give a about anybody else's kids except for my own. And so at this point, a little alarm inside of myself said, we need to get some other people out here because this is escalating. So Melissa grabbed her phone and called the office inside the school building. Melissa reached a secretary and asked them to send somebody out to help with the angry woman in the parking lot. Meanwhile, the woman who had walked across the parking lot approached another woman and hit her. So Melissa got off the phone. And I yelled, hey, you can't put your hands on people. So as I'm doing that, she's coming off of the parking area. She gets in her car and I said, I think at that point is when I told her, hey, I'm recording you. So I start recording her and I said, hey, you're being recorded. She tries to run me over with her car as I'm getting the phone on. So I jumped back up over the curb. Other parents are just trying to get their kids and get the heck out of there. And it's at that point that she says to me, you're being recorded. Did you just call me a That incident in the parking lot and being called that slur felt like a jolt to Melissa Hall. It caught her off guard. And to be fair, other parents showed their concerns for Melissa. The principal banned the woman who yelled at Melissa from stepping onto school property. But as the school year continued, the parking lot incident would come to feel like one of several moments that took a toll on Melissa. The incidents that followed came from elected officials who oversee her school district. They sought to remove policies that were designed to make schools more equitable for students like Melissa's kids. This is a story about how Melissa Hall decided to push back. I'm Joe Erickson. I spent years documenting gang violence in London. When I moved to the US, I was startled by the violence against black people here. This series is my attempt to lift the voices of those affected by systemic racism. 
During the 2021-2022 school year, I followed a diverse group of educators, students and parents. Using a mix of audio diaries and interviews, they share their lives, their anger and their dreams. In recent years, Americans have heard stories about their local school districts becoming battlegrounds, angry clashes at school board meetings, books removed from library shelves, discussions of critical race theory being banned from the classroom. What's missing from this conversation are the voices of black parents, teachers and students. It's time we heard their stories. This season is a tale of two school districts, both American, both in Colorado. Over four episodes, I'll introduce you to folks in Colorado Springs, District 11, and in Denver Public Schools. They're just 70 miles apart, and they share a Rocky Mountain skyline, but culturally, they might as well be on different planets. As one district works towards equity, the other district, where Melissa's kids go to school, disbanded its equity department. And teachers, students and parents of colour who I've spoken with feel like they're caught in the middle of a culture war. Episode 1, Melissa's Story. Melissa Hall is a 40-year-old African-American single mother who's lived her whole life in Colorado Springs. In September 2021, at the start of the school year, Melissa sends her four kids to school in Colorado Springs School District 11. She's a great believer in supporting her community and her local schools. You would see Melissa several times a week helping out as a school volunteer. For Melissa, family is important. And she loves her big family. I'm exhausted. I decided this year I was not going to have a birthday, so I skipped it. And it was marvelous. (laughs) I keep telling these kids, I'm like, it's fun to have birthdays when you're 10 and 15 and even probably 29. And then 30 comes and it's all downhill after that. I promise you, you wake up on... Throughout all the chaos of raising kids, she remains calm. Hey, seriously? Can you just talk to me? So finding a school that her kids like makes her life at home easier. I love the school my children attend. I love the community. I love the principal. I love the teachers. What excited Melissa about her kids' school was their commitment to equity policies. District 11 had a good equity department under the leadership of Superintendent Dr. Michael Thomas. Melissa saw how the equity department used resources. She liked that there were books that featured African-American voices and kids could have mental health counsellors. That's important to her. 
But the whole parking lot incident opened her eyes. Joe Erickson with CPR's podcast, Systemic. We're listening to the season two premiere. And when we come back, what happens when the school district decides to pull its support for ensuring equity? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Thank you for supporting CPR. Every day, your membership is put to good work serving communities across our state. You ensure that news and music remain freely available to Coloradans everywhere. Your generosity helps make it all possible. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Let's get back to the season two premiere of Systemic. That's CPR's podcast about people fighting injustice, dismantling the status quo. Creator, host, and producer Joe Erickson is speaking with Melissa Hall, a black parent who's feeling the full impact of changing equity policies, both as the mother of four children and as a school volunteer in Colorado Springs. I am always very aware that how I behave, how I interact, what I say, what I do, is always a risk of being labeled angry black parent. It is a thing. And I have seen several parents of color be labeled that way um, and not have access or be pushed away or, you know, I mean, it's a terrible thing. I don't think parents that are not of color are kind of labeled that way. And I've seen some of the most bizarre stuff, you know, where these parents are coming in and cussing these teachers and staff out and doing the most you know, and I'm like, if I did that and even thought of behaving that way or my my tone, my inflection of what I'm trying to say, a gesture, whatever, I mean, it would be swift. Like, you can't come here, you can't pick up your kids, you know, that'd be it. Melissa kept busy with chores and volunteering at school as a way to cope with the trauma of the parking lot attack. Like most mums, She struggles with her kids' schedule. She has one daughter in high school, one daughter in middle school, and two kids in elementary. So sometimes it's hard to keep up with them. See if I can convince them. Other times she's fed up with her kids ignoring her. Can you guys just answer like two questions? One morning in January is more difficult than usual. Melissa's son complained that he wasn't feeling well. He stayed home sick. By the end of the night, I was feeling terrible. And then, of course, today I'm like, well, you know, and I'm like, nope, I got to get things done. I'm a single parent. There's no one else to fill in. And I'm going to have a long night tonight because they have art show at the school. And that means I have to go. And the other one's going to some mentoring program at college. So I'll just never be done till like 8 or 10 tonight. As a mum, you quickly learn to savour those moments of me time. On a rare night in early February, all the kids were out, so Melissa looked forward to relaxing. She had just sat down in front of the TV when a friend texted her the news. In our school watch tonight, our continuing coverage on the departure of one of the top leaders of one of our area's largest school districts, D11 Superintendent Dr. Michael Thomas, is parting ways with the district. Dr. Thomas, the superintendent responsible for many of the things that Melissa loved about the district, was leaving. 
And not only that, but the school board was slowly reducing its equity program. The same equity program that put the books Melissa's kids loved in the library, the one that fostered Black History Month and Juneteenth programming. District 11 said that they planned to roll aspects of the equity work into other departments. Students, teachers and parents protested the proposed changes. And we're not going to be quiet. And we're not going to sit down until we know every child of D11 is safe. But there were parents who were delighted by the news. A spokesperson for a local chapter of a national organisation called FAIR supported the change. We should not train our children in fear and distrust. FAIR urges the board to take the following steps. First, chart a new course. Reject any form of race essentialism in instruction and unequivocally advocate for one human race and universal civil rights and liberties. Two, we urge the board to thoroughly review and revise the equity policy Eliminate race essentialist assumptions about systemic racism and group outcomes. Three, we urge you to halt the rollout of any actions based on the recently performed equity audit. And further, four, we urge you to allow... A lot of parents accused educators of embracing critical race theory, or CRT, when actually they were implementing equity. It's worth taking a second here to talk about the difference. CRT is an academic concept. The core idea looks beyond individual biases and prejudice, but focuses on systems and how discriminatory legal systems and policies are suppressing people of colour. And that's not what former Superintendent Dr Michael Thomas was doing. Instead, he was promoting equity, which merely provides social and economic resources to all children. But a lot of parents, especially white parents, were conflating CRT and equity. Melissa was sick and tired of this war. So now we sit in a situation where we've now seen them. They're going to close the, the equity department. Um, the, the stuff associated with that is certainly bizarre to me, too, that we've come into this situation where it's like, oh, it's not equity, it's CRT. And it's like, whoa, hold up, wait a minute. First of all, do you even know what the tenants, can you tell us any of the six tenants of CRT? What is CRT? Do you know who created it? Do you know anything about it? They can't tell you a thing, but they can tell you that for some reason it's become this new, it's, it's so bizarre. They'll tell you that it's racist. They'll tell you that equity is really CRT. And it's like, first of all, hold on there. Equity means access for everybody. It means everybody gets the same fair chance to do their best, whether it's race, whether it's, um, being in the special needs department, and also stop and think about gifted and talented students. So it's not, you know what I mean? It's and But they really have spun this whole thing where it's like, you're making our white children feel as though they're, they're bad. And it's like, 
No, we just want all children to have the same opportunity, regardless of what it is. It could be something good that they need help with. It could be something that is a disadvantage that they need help with. But all children deserve to be respected, feel safe, and have a, a great opportunity to do what they can, their personal best. Melissa could see that these parents were pushing the school board in a new direction. So how does a single African-American mum convince them that they're wrong? Before she had time to react, news broke again, this time exposing two members of the board. Racially insensitive remarks by board members, those claims at the center of tonight's D11 school board meeting. Board members Jason Jorgensen and Al Loma tonight answering to a standing room only crowd of parents and students. A group of people from the neighborhood came to an open board meeting. One of them, a black man wearing a hoodie, spoke. Another black man in the group was wearing a shirt that matched the speaker's hoodie. Up until then, in District 11, it was unusual to see people of color standing up and expressing their views in meetings like this. But here they were. The man expressed the group's concerns over the school board's lack of interest in equity issues and the impact on the African-American community. So we're here. We're here to show you that, we, that no matter what you think you pulled off, you'll always have to answer to the real community. And it'd be in the best interest of everyone in power <clears throat> to represent us correctly from your seat. Because what you say and what you do will have consequences for you as much as it has uh, placed consequences on us. The appearance of these guys at the school board meeting apparently frightened three white women who later complained that they felt threatened by these black men. This led the new director of the school board, Al Loma, to write an email obtained by Fox 21 News. Quote, I restrained my knee-jerk reaction to jump over our counter and gangster slap him, but I let it ride. I asked the school board for comment about this, and the long-standing board member, Julie Ott, got back to me. Julie's one of the two members who voted to keep the equity program. She's been at some tense board meetings especially during the pandemic. But she says, this wasn't like that. The man is not threatening us. I've never felt directly threatened in a board meeting, but people who come to us angry about masking, there were times when we're very glad security was sitting outside. So how did Melissa feel about Al Lorma's reaction to the women's letter. This is not okay. We have a pervasive pattern of this behavior coming from other people in our community. What do we do? How do we stop this? How do we stop this? Do I pull my kids out of this school? You know, what, what do you do? I did ask Director Al Lorma to speak about recent events, but he declined to comment. Melissa wondered what to do. School board meetings are a difficult place to navigate if you're a parent of colour. 
she hardly goes to meetings because they don't seem very welcoming to people of colour. Now that other black parents are targeted with racial comments, she had doubts. For the first time, she wondered if she should change her kids' school. And I've even had to think about it with all of the incidents and situations and things that my children have faced, even in elementary school, I'm considering, do I pull them? It's a very upsetting thing, you know? We are hearing Systemic from CPR's Audio Innovation Studio. Joe Erickson is the creator, host, and producer. The podcast is focused on people working to change the status quo. And this second season focuses on educational equity in Colorado. This preview on Colorado Matters continues into this next half hour with changes Melissa Hall has noticed inside the classroom. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC. In Colorado, you can farm potatoes, sweet corn, melons, peaches, chilies, and you can farm ice. This is what happens in Uray every winter. Ice farmers send the city's excess water down two miles of the Uncompadre Gorge's canyon walls. After about a month of careful monitoring and spraying, Uray Ice Park opens to the public. Since the mid-90s, this mecca of ice climbing draws thousands of people every year. Equipped with crampons, special boots, ropes, harnesses, and axes, they take on 150 different routes and contribute significantly to the local economy. Climbers also enjoy the ice park in Lake City and frozen waterfalls like Fish Creek in Steamboat Springs and Zapata in the San Luis Valley. The sport gained a lot of visibility in 2019 when the first Ice Climbing World Cup Finals in America, featuring a 50-foot-high wall of ice, came to downtown Denver. A Colorado postcard from CPR with the support of Coble & Company. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. The conclusion now of the first episode from the latest season of Systemic, CPR's podcast about challenging institutional inequity. This season takes us into Colorado schools, where the conversation over DE&I has intensified. Systemic's creator, host and producer Joe Erickson, is speaking with Melissa Hall, a black parent of four who also volunteers at her children's school in Colorado Springs. This year... Melissa noticed a change during Black History Month. The school board has a policy to encourage every school in the district to observe Black History Month. But it's not required for schools to provide Black History Month education, nor continue with that programming every year. Though District 11 strives to put together programs to honour African American contributions, Sometimes school resources are stretched, especially after COVID. One school board member said academics probably took a front seat over culture. Melissa was surprised when her kids' school didn't do their normal Black History Month education. Students like 16-year-old Aisha and her 14-year-old sister, Tanisha, also noticed. Both are related to Melissa. They really didn't do anything for it. We just, they didn't like show any appreciation, you know? They just kind of like pushed it to the side. They In like- school for me, they actually just do like, they give me 
like I got the my teacher gave me a black lives matter pin like a little thing for my backpack but that was it the last time her school observed black history month Aisha's class mostly danced around the legacy of slavery they only really talked about slavery yeah and we already like went over that and then they're like really touchy on slavery though you know like they don't really like touch on the subject they just kind of like go around it the school's lack of vision for black history month leaves Aisha frustrated and disappointed she believes it shouldn't be all about slavery but other accomplishments like those of Harriet Tubman whose work is recognized and will be the new face on the $20 bill. Aisha wishes the school taught her white peers and other students about how African Americans arrived in the U.S. and how history can teach us about the present. I just wish that they would teach it in school for the other kids so they could know. Because, like, there's kids in my school who are getting arguments about, like, different slurs and stuff, and they're uneducated about it. And they think they're right, because, like, that's how they grew up. By late March, Melissa's feeling happier about the world. The long Colorado winter is finally yielding to spring. Melissa's thinking maybe there's a way that she can keep her kids in their schools. She just got back from attending an equity meeting held by a few elementary school teachers. It's mostly teachers and support staff that make up these groups. And I guess I would be like the parent representative. So like at the middle school, there's a lot that happens to talk about, you know, are we doing our best to engage? How are the students being, you know, taken care of? The group meets regularly and discusses how to restore equity to people's lives and help the whole community rather than one group. There's a lot of demographics. We have a marvelous person on the team that uh, has created a lot of demographics about what are the groups that are represented at our school. So everything from the different languages that are spoken, the demographics on the gifted and talented students, and what students they've been able to advocate for that maybe didn't pass the initial tests, but they were able to get them tested again and get that done. As Melissa's group quietly worked to improve standards for children, the District 11 school board finally made it official. On April 6, the board voted 4-2 to two not to fund the equity department in the 2022-23 preliminary school year budget. Some parents showed their support for this cut at the school board meeting. And I want to thank you for your service to our community. And I want to make sure you know you're backed by a large majority of your community in support of your recent decisions regarding the district's budget development. Melissa took the news of the equity program's demise personally. In her mind, this was a big part of what made her kids' school special. And on the heels of the vote, Melissa noticed that some people involved in the decisions were becoming even bolder by asserting their views publicly. One board member in particular 
was generating conversation for his social media posts. On May 16th, Al Lorma posted his definition of a word in bold black and white. It read, Woke is a state of awareness only achieved by those dumb enough to find injustice in everything except their own behaviour. When Melissa saw Aloma's posts, she knew in her heart something needed to change. I've been thinking about it for months and months now. I still don't have the answers. Melissa wasn't alone. At a Q&A event held by Neighbours for Education, an educator asked district leadership for guidance in a noisy meeting space. Like, I think there's a lot of fuzziness about what we're able to talk about and not at this point. And as an educator, for example, when a student is treating another student poorly with regards to LGBTQ issues, like, I, I feel like fuzziness of like what I can do to step in at this point. The educator expressed her concerns about how to address race and LGBTQ issues in the classroom. District 11 President Parth Mel Packham responded to the teacher saying, There's a specific policy that says no bullying, bullying on our campus. Okay, there is going to be no type of bullying that is allowed or uh, tolerated on our campus. But not everyone in the room, including Melissa, were reassured by this. For Melissa, Malpacum's comments were the proverbial straw that broke Melissa's back. She couldn't stay silent anymore. She had to find some sort of solution. Why are you here? Why are you organizing this community event? Well, basically, we're just doing this, trying to get some unity in the community, trying to. Uh, have a voice for the community. I mean, you know, I feel like uh, this neighborhood, this community has been overlooked for whatever reason. But I know one of the reasons is because there's no voice for us. So we just want to have a voice out here. At the end of the school year, in May 2022, Melissa joined a group called Neighbours for Education, who are putting pressure on schools to become more inclusive. Neighbours for Education had a table at this local community event. Can you act like you try take a picture? <laughs> this event celebrated the joy and strength of the community, but organizers wanted to encourage people from the community to run as state representatives or for the school board. It is the residents that make a difference, and that is why we're here today to let you know that you can make these changes in your community. If you Melissa attended the event because she thought it would encourage other parents, like her, to speak out. It brings peace in the community and people get fed and there's an opportunity for people to interact and visit the booths and play and enjoy music. It's been a long journey. At the beginning of the school year, Melissa couldn't imagine that she would be actively engaged in putting new people on the school board. Becoming an activist and activism was something other people did. But the actions of her school board drove her to this new place. 
It's hard, though, to fight for equity against the school board majority that seems dead set against it. Good grief if I could just go back in time and just enjoy the simplicity and the monotony of you know, breastfeeding a baby every hour and washing all those clothes again and doing, picking up those blocks for the 150th time. Like, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't get involved. But she did get involved. And her vision for schools is a district where children can discover how diverse communities contribute to U.S. history and the role her kids can play to shape our world. As Melissa headed into the summer break, she was concerned about the next academic year. Would anything have changed? I think at some point, somebody has to be willing to take, maybe not even responsibility, but they have to be willing to acknowledge you know, that things need to be done differently or this needs to change. Now it's the new school year. Melissa's kids are still in the same schools, but she questions whether that's the right choice. She's considering moving them in the future. Either way, this is a big year for Melissa. In 2023... Melissa and the group Neighbours for Education have the opportunity to get their people elected to the school board. But it's a big ask. Would a very red, deeply conservative district vote for a candidate who embraces equity and LGBTQ issues? Well, we'll have to see. Melissa's struggles made me think about how the culture war is affecting educators in the district. Next time on Systemic, we follow an educator who opposes the public comments made by some District 11 board members about the trans community and is frightened to take her gender-fluid child to school. We're here! We're queer! I'm constantly on alert that I'm going to have to defend my child's existence to random people because they want to comment or say something about gay people or gay kids or trans kids or whatever. Like, I mean, just hearing myself say that, like, what the heck, man? That's next on Systemic. Joe Erickson from CPR's Audio Innovation Studio with the Season 2 premiere of Systemic. Find this and other episodes everywhere you get podcasts. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. We are so grateful to our members, donors, and sponsors. You are such an important part of the work we do here every day. CPR News, CPR Classical, Indy 1023, Denverite, and KRCC in Southern Colorado wouldn't be possible without you. Thank you for being a part of the Colorado Public Radio family. And on behalf of listeners all over Colorado, thank you for your support. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. 
More than 4,000 migrants have arrived in Denver from the southern U.S. border since December 9th. Denverite's Kyle Harris reports on how Colorado's Jewish community has rallied to help. Vehicles line the Temple Emanuel parking lot, where people are dropping off bags of clothes. Volunteers cart the mountains of donations inside. Dan Lesham, director of the Jewish Community Relations Council. These are migrants that showed up at the Texas-Mexico border. So they were dressed appropriately for that climate. They were not ready to come to Denver. Lesham explains the importance of the effort and says caring for others, particularly strangers, is a core Jewish value. We are working with the city on the highest level needs, but as a Jewish community, we're committed to supporting uh, these new arrivals, these people who are coming as strangers into our community, but who deserve our dignity and respect and attention and care. Lesham says more than 200 volunteers from ages 3 to 83 have helped. Why are Jews always being reminded that they were slaves in Egypt? Because the ethical obligation is that you know what that feels like. There are people who have never suffered the way you have suffered. And the point of suffering isn't to wallow and wrap yourself in that as a victim. You have suffered so that you will know never to let anyone else suffer. That because you suffered, you are held to this higher standard. You know what that's like. Volunteers from over 40 Jewish organizations in the Rocky Mountain region are helping with the drive. Temple Emanuel Rabbi Emily Hyatt. Well, what we talk about in our tradition is that it says almost countless times in our texts that we are commanded to, obligated to, called to love the stranger. What a weird thing to ask somebody to do. We're also asked to love your neighbor, right? To love the person that you do know. But way more than that, we're asked to love the person that you don't. Temple Emanuel will accept donations on Mondays and Thursdays through the end of January. I'm Kyle Harris, Denver. And you can read our ongoing coverage of migrant arrivals at denverite.com. A skier from Colorado came close to making history Tuesday. Finish line in sight in blackout. Final gates for the Slovakian, Petra Bolhova in the first, and she wins it tonight over Michaela Schifrin. Michaela Schifrin was less than half a second from winning her 83rd World Cup Alpine ski race. If she does get to 83 career victories, it would be the most ever among women. This is also a comeback story. John Henderson is following Schifrin's run. He's former sports reporter at the Denver Post, now based in Italy, and he spoke with my colleague Corey Jones. John, you were at Tuesday's race in Flakau, Austria. Describe what it was like there with Schifrin on the verge of history. Well, I've covered sports all over the world, all kinds of sports. This place was going crazy. There's 13,700 fans packed in this little tiny stadium. Every one of them was standing. And then they were standing 50 deep all the way up the mountain. It was remarkable. And this is one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard in any sport. Uh, Let's go back to Schifrin. Could you tell how this loss affected her after the race? Well, not really, because her representative told me after the race that she'd been sick all day. And after the first run, she was uh, sitting off to the side and she said she felt queasiness in her stomach much more than she had during the day. And then at the finish of the second run, 
she did a live TV interview and went off and, f- and threw up somewhere. So she didn't come through the mix zone and talk to the press, and she'd skip the uh, press conference. I don't think she's going it, to it affect her that much. I mean, she's got a whole half season to go. She's tied. She's going to break it eventually. Um, there is really, really not a whole lot of pressure on her. Do you get that sense from her, you know, this week in terms of how she's handled the potential pressure? Yeah, she's handled it really well. And that's one reason she's made this big comeback from the flop she had in Beijing. If everybody remembers, she entered six races, didn't medal in any of them, and she fell three times. But um, after the Beijing Olympics, she did a YouTube series called Moving Right Along, it's called. And what she said, and this is her direct quote, just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. And so she stopped worrying about winning, and she stopped concentrating on her tactics and her technique. She's told me that she, if she thought about winning at the starting gate, she always lost. So she stopped worrying about winning, and she started to win. And she's won big this year. And so she's kept a very level head. Um, I don't think she feels the pressure of this record at all. This past weekend, you were also in Slovenia when Schifrin tied the record of 82 wins. And after that race, you asked her what she was thinking about on the podium. My dad used to be there and taking pictures. And most races these days, I'll think about him and I'm able to kind of refocus. And uh, that's been a big improvement for me since last season. Schifrin's dad died unexpectedly nearly three years ago. John, can you tell us a bit more about how his death affected her? He was her emotional support. Her mom is her coach, but her dad is her, is her rock. He was always there at the end of a race to give her support, to encouragement, to talk her out of slumps, whatever. And so when he died, it happened in February and in the middle of the season, and she lost it. She flew home, and she went straight to bed, and she didn't stop crying. And she really contemplated quitting. But her brother, Taylor, talked her out of it. He gave her some tough love. He says, look, you can't quit. You can't quit on the family. Our father wouldn't, wouldn't want you to quit. He would want you to keep going, and you, he'd want you to keep winning. So she did. So I think this attitude where she's just enjoying skiing and enjoying how she's skiing has really helped her on the victory podium. Yeah. Wow. What a remarkable season it's been. For now, she's actually tied for the record with a fellow Coloradan, Lindsey Vaughn. So what's next for Schifrin this season? Well, she's going to rest for a few days and she will go to Cortina, Italy, January 20th to the 22nd. She'll have three races there. And if she passes Vaughn there, then next on the on the horizon is Ingemar Stenmark's men's record of 86 victories in the World Cup. So by the end of this year, if she keeps going the way she's been going, she may be the, the winningest skier in history at 27. And that is reporter John Henderson in Austria speaking with CPR's Corey Jones. That's Colorado Matters today with thanks to these champs. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook, Michelle Fulcher, Matt Hers, Michael Hughes, Chris Ketchum, Pedro Lumbrano, Patrice Mondragon, Shane Rumsey, Chandra Thomas Whitfield. And I'm Ryan Warner. Thanks for spending time with us. You're with CPR News and KRCC.